This is a Federal News Network podcast. The pandemic, specifically the spending and acquisition lessons from it, should not disappear once there's a vaccine. In fact, the lessons learned should spur permanent and better defense acquisition. That's the thinking of my next guest, who's followed defense acquisition for a long time. He's the executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University, Jerry McGinn. Jerry, good to have you back. Great to speak with you there, Tom. All right, tell us your thinking about what are the lessons learned, what has been good about defense procurement as a result of the pandemic. One of the interesting things is that if you look at the immediate response and the longer-term response, government contracting has actually performed very well. It's been chaotic in the beginning, and that's not surprising. But the system has done a lot of good things, and Congress and the administration have both contributed to that. So what I would look at was, you know, we've done a number of reports at the Center for Government Contracting on the COVID response, and initially it was sort of an all-of-the-above or a kitchen sink approach. Let's do quick-turn RFPs. Let's do whatever we can to get money to providers to deliver capabilities to respond to the crisis. And Congress gave the administration great tools to do that. They uh, increased the other transactions authority limits, they thresholds, they allowed for undefinitized contract actions or UCAs to help speed things. Um, they reduced the restrictions on Defense Production Act and appropriated a billion dollars for the fund. And, you know, and these things have been used very, very strong. And now sort of the question is, what sticks? You know, and um, I, I argue that we, we should, a lot of it should stick. Well, I just want to divert for a minute. You mentioned undefinitized yeah. contract actions, yep. UCAs. I think everybody knows about other transaction authority. That's been in the news now for yep. quite a number of months. Just tell us more about uh-huh. UCAs and what they're designed to do and what they can help with. Yeah, so what UCAs can do is they can get you to start work quickly, uh, immediately. You know, So it essentially allows you to get a program or an action started and on contract before you negotiate all the terms and conditions of the full contract. And that's been done a couple of times here in the pandemic response. For instance, there was a $160 million UCA it was done for HHS, but through DPA authority, uh, you know, DOD appropriated um, $163,000 million for a vaccine delivery company, you know, to help deliver one-use vaccines. So when the vaccines are ready, we have a means to distribute them. So that was done through UCA and some of, uh, another um, response for the pandemic has done that as well. And so that allowed those companies to start work, you know, in the spring and then finish the contract. UCAs have, have gone away a little bit because it can be then tough to then get the final contract done. But the fact that they did this and, and it's actually then led to uh, these strong actions, I, I think, is a good thing. And OTAs, other transaction authorities, mm-hmm. are outside of the federal acquisition regulation or the DFARS. Yeah. What about UCAs? Mm-hmm. Are they also something separate or are they, part, are they allowed in the DFARS? They're, they are on the DFARS, yeah. So that they're, um, you know, it's just another tool that is used to help get things at least started. It requires that you do follow up of a full proposal and, and, you know, get the contracts, terms and conditions signed. But it's part of the system, which I think is a good thing. Because OTA, OTs, as you talked about, sort of go around the system a bit. What we need to do is really strengthen, you know, how the system works so it can be more responsive and adaptive. We're speaking with Jerry McGinn. He's executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University. And also writing in National Interest, you have talked about the Adaptive Acquisition Framework, the AAF, that Mm -hmm. uh, the DOD has put together. Is that something new also? What is it and how can that apply? 
Yeah, no, that's something that the um, Department of Defense has been working on for a number of months that is essentially they, they argue that there are different pathways for acquisition. The regular DFAR system using OTAs, using, you know, there's a separate appropriation on trying to do a different kind of money for software contracting to make it um, more responsive. So that this framework is trying to find the right tool for the right acquisition problem. So they started rolling this out before the pandemic, and now they've tried to do it. And my argument is that this is a perfect time to really educate principally the contracting officers and all up and down the acquisition professional chain about those pathways, about the different options, so we choose the right kind of path for the right acquisition problem. I think the pandemic has given us lots of great examples on things that work and things that maybe don't work as well. And so um, rolling out this acquisition AAF is a really good thing, and I think I just want to see it promoted more and more across the acquisition community. And when these things happen rapidly, or there's a UCA or an OTA, I mean, in the case of pandemic spending, Congress also built in something that has not been fully exercised yet, and that's kind of a post-facto audit of what happened and whether yeah. it was all correct. And so doesn't that also need to be part of these rapid and quick and effective types of techniques? Yeah, you can get things started and bought fast, but at some point there's a reckoning. I agree. I mean, you, you definitely want um, to share accountability so there's, you know, that all tax dollars are spent in the right way and transparently and so on. And there's a time for that. But, you know, so you need to have that. And I, you've seen some of the examinations of different contracting actions, you know, that have been done in the early stages to see whether or not it was appropriate. But I, I, And I think you absolutely need that. But I, I don't want the... My argument is you don't want the tail to wag the dog. And it's not so you, you need compliance, you need full accountability, but let's, you know, um, these advances that we've made in, in government contracting, let's not kind of backslide into a way that just may, returns to the system as usual. Sure. And a related issue I wanted to ask you about from your prolific pen, and that is the idea of the need for more manufacturing capacity to return to the United States. And this was also shown up in the pandemic. I'm looking at one of the collection of face masks I have. This one happens to be made in Mexico. At least it's in the right hemisphere. But uh, a lot of it is from Asia. And you're saying, yep. though, that uh, let's not overdo it because we need trade and we need you know, a solid economic system. Yeah, my, my, uh, my argument is that, you know, I think we need to clearly with, with regard to public safety, that is, you know, PPE and things that are pharmaceutical production, uh, as well as defense, we need to get out of the China business. You know, we need more domestic capacity so we're not kind of at risk of being in um, difficult situations with adversarial countries. But that doesn't mean buy America only. As you mentioned, we've already got, we've got close partners. I mean, we have the USMCA deal, um, and you've got Canada and Mexico that are, you know, geographically contiguous to us. And you have partners, strong allies in Australia, Japan, the United Kingdom that produce capabilities, you know, such as rare earth production, rare earth magnet production. It's a natural partnership for us to build domestic capacity with a little bit of help from our friends. And so I, I just would caution about some of the forces in Congress, particularly, or they want to tighten by America restrictions to build domestic capacity. And I just think that we don't need that because um, we already have very strong domestic production in the defense industry, and it's a net export kind of industry as well. And we have lots of um, allies and partner countries that have companies that do business here and have subsidiaries here. So I don't think the right tool is to build, build domestic capacity 
through Title III, uh, the Defense Production Act, and other kind of tools, but um, you know, and but partner with allies as as we do that. I think what the nation needs is a good American-made torque wrench that's less than five hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, but that is for sure. That is for sure. I was using one a torque wrench on my uh, my uh, zero turn radius mower, trying to get some mulch blades on there, and uh, I'm confident that wasn't 500 bucks. And I'm sure the Department of Defense can can get theirs for less than that as well. All right, Jerry McGinn is executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University. Thanks so much. Great to talk with you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com/slash/federal-drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.